Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn, and we're back after international duty. So let's start off, as we always do, with the Bundesliga results. Okay, on Friday night, we've seen Fortuna Dusseldorf and Wolfsburg. All is even, 1-1. We're going to be talking about that game rather shortly into Saturday. It was not a happy time for Peter Bosk as he went to his former employer and lost 4-0. Borussia Dortmund 4 Bayer Leverkusen 0. Mainz getting their first win of the season 2-1 against Hertha Berlin. Augsburg 2, Eintracht Frankfurt 1. The Rhineland Derby seeing Cologne lose their third game of the season 1-0 against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Union Berlin, again, not a happy day. They scored 1 but failed to win 2-1 against Werder Bremen. The late kickoff game on Saturday seeing RB Leipzig host champions Bayern Munich. Birthday boy Thomas Muller laid on a wonderful assist for Robin Lewandowski to score his seventh of the season to put Bayern ahead, but it ended up 1-1 after Emil Forsberg scored from the spot. Into Sunday, Hoffenheim having a terrible time at the moment. I think we're going to have to talk about them a little bit today on the pods as they lost 3-0 to Freiburg. The final game of the weekend, seeing Paderborn score with their first and only shot on target, but failed to win as they lost 5-1 to Schalke. Not a good day at all for the newly promoted side. So joining me as always is Liverpool Football Club and German football specialist Chris Williams. Chris, how have you been? Bryce, I've been very well, thank you. I just got back from Germany this evening, um, as we record this on Monday, um, after seeing a game Friday, Saturday and Sunday. So, yeah, packed weekend, um, tons of goals, um, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. Yes, I'm very busy. That ultimately sounds like a lot of fun as well. Uh, joining Chris and I is the creator of the Football Grad Network, Manu Veth. Manu, how have you been? Good, um, but Bryce, you should know it's Manuel Fit. Oh, come on. You can't, you, you can't change after all these years. <laughs> I, I was corrected on the last podcast, so apparently this is an issue. Oh, well. No, I, it's all good. I, there was me thinking I knew you. It's so all good, really all not. good. No, how are you been? Um, we, <laughs> we missed you on the last podcast. 
Oh, I know. I'm back once again. We're all friends, as you probably would have seen on Twitter. I've subbed off, but but now it's all okay. But um, yeah, fantastic podcast once again, guys. And I suppose you know we're we're reunited after an international break, and I suppose we have to talk about the international football. Extra, put that there well. for you. Yeah, I noticed. I noticed it was on the agenda. Um, so Germany um, lost four uh, two at home to the Netherlands, and then they beat someone two nil. So Manu, let, let's go to you and uh, talk about uh, the issues um, held at the moment. Uh, Germany are top of the pile in that group at the moment, uh, but it hasn't been quite that rosy, especially in the uh, goalkeeping area. Well, I, I actually thought I think the goalkeeping area is probably one of Germany's least problems. Um, it just has been made a problem because that's an area where we have a lot of depth and we probably have two of the world's best keepers. And I say this um, in mind that Manuel Neuer, yes, he didn't have a great season last year, but I think ever since the German Cup final against Leipzig where he was outstanding and and you know in many ways won Bayern that, that Cup final because Leipzig were very good, um, but were completely held by Manuel Neuer. And then in the two national team games that followed, Neuer was excellent as well. And I think, you know, even though Bayern have had the defensive problems this season, I don't think that's because of Manuel Neuer. I think he's been excellent. And I actually think he was excellent in the game against the Netherlands as well. Um, he made a few very good saves. Um, unfortunately, was was left a bit stranded um, by, by his side. Um, you know, in balance, I, I think that Germany had a good spell and it should have maybe even you know scored that goal just before half time that second goal that would have put it away and then had a flurry of three four chances just after half time that would have made it two nil as well um and that would have really put that game to bed and but as it was the netherlands actually managed to get back into this game and and really shows that you know, this this german side is still very much in, in its a transition period and still very much working on getting those results and um i think that in with that all of that in mind, um, Joachim Löw maybe did not want to open another can of worm by changing Neuer and bringing in Ter Stegen for that second game against Northern Ireland, which, with the Netherlands results in mind, was a very was a must-win affair, right? Just to like settle the team a little bit. Um, they have, of course, thrown away the um, the home advantage that they had. They won a game in the Netherlands 3-2. Losing the game in 4-2 at home means that the tiebreaker goes to the Netherlands if they're even on points, right? So they cannot afford... They, they have to finish in the two, top two in the group now. They cannot afford to maybe finish uh, second on points with the Netherlands. So they're winning against Northern Ireland was key. And I think with that in mind, Joachim Löw just didn't want to change the goalkeeper as well. And I, I thought Neuer was very good. Ter Stegen was unhappy because... He he was made believe that he would get a chance in one of those two games. And, of course, he's Barcelona's number one keeper here for the last two years, including that year that Neuer had an off year. He was probably one of the best keepers in the world. And he really thought that he would deserve a chance. He's been quiet throughout his German national team career, but he did say something after this game. said that it was a bit of a disappointment, that he you know you cannot... Um, say that there will be an open five for positions and then you do not play one player. And then Neuer responded, this is not something that we needed in the current situation. So this is really where we at. I think on balance, I think Germany, they're looking good. They're going to qualify for the European Championships. Um, I'm not sure how much they're going to do with these European Championships because this is a team still very much in rebuild. And I think it's still a couple of years away until they 
they're back in the top level of European football. But I think it's a, it's an interesting debate between the two goalkeepers. And I think a year ago, I would have said, yeah, Ter Stegen should have played. I think Ter Stegen should have probably played at the World Cup. But um, as it stands right now, I think both keepers have a case to be made. And I think when you really look at the last four or five months, Neuer has been maybe the better of the two, especially in key games. The one game that comes to mind real quickly, and I mean, that's a good way to bring Chris into this debate, is that game in Liverpool um, where Ter Stegen did not look very good and um, just a few months later Neuer of course fantastic in the German Cup final so maybe on balance um, I think Neuer right now has better has probably more points on his side to stay the number one yeah so um, I mean Manu just a one final point on Germany um, I mean it well, I mean, some would have expected maybe Germany to win the group. Um, it, it, do you think yourself and uh, the other German fans are going to be um, upset if they don't win that group? Or does it not really matter? As long as they make it to the, the European Championships, then all will be forgotten. Right. So I've followed this team since the early 1990s, and I cannot remember a single qualification group um, stage, except maybe the one... Um, ahead of 2016, where Germany did not run into one, you know, a little bit of trouble here and there. This is this is just how it is. You know, they they have never been perfect in, in qualification groups. Um, I'm sorry, actually, to correct, it was the the, the the World Cup group ahead of 2018 where they won 10 out of 10, right? Massive goal differential. But yeah, I think, I, I mean, I remember ahead of 1996 the tournament that they won in England they they were horrendous in that qualification group and I think lost both games to Bulgaria I remember losses to Turkey I remember you know that 5-1 defeat to England um, ahead of the 2002 World Cup it's it's pretty common I would say and in the end of the day it doesn't really matter you just have to get there yeah absolutely and yeah hopefully Northern will be able to spring a surprise bit of revenge uh, I think away from home but I'm not going to hold my breath, to be honest. Uh, anyway, let's talk about um, this Bundesliga weekend. And yes, as Chris mentioned, he, he was over in Germany and he's seen three games in three days. So let's start off on Friday night, that game in Dusseldorf. Um, Chris, uh, take us through it. Fortuna won, Wolfsburg won. Both teams have been playing rather well recently. And um, a draw, I suppose, is maybe less surprising. Uh, tell us about your, your time there and... Um, yeah, what what you made of the on-field antics? Well, yeah, just before get started, I picked up a phrase this um, weekend um, about the German national side. Uh, Manu, uh, it's especially for you. It's um, gut gegen der Scheiße, Scheiße gegen die Guten. Um, yeah, and just like that, we're explicit. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be okay for anybody who doesn't speak German. Um, that's the German national side. Uh, good against the shit and shit against the good. Yeah, um, but the... yeah. Back to uh, back to Dusseldorf. Um, yeah, it was it was okay, Bryce. It was nothing to write home about. But unfortunately, um, that's my job when I go away. So I did have to write home about it. Um, I did the uh, match report or the match recap on uh, fushballstart.com. Um, yeah, I, I had it down as a bit of a whimper. Um, yeah, it, it lacked in quality really overall. Um, I mean the the goal. Um, by Nico um, Geisman was well, a, a goal worthy of winning any game. Um, it didn't in the end because Wolfsburg equalised, but um, it was a, a fantastic goal and, and it hit it so well. And um, but 
it was the build-up, isn't it, um, the problem with VAR in inverted commas. Uh, Manu and I chatted at the time when this was going on by WhatsApp uh, because, unfortunately, there was no television replay screens in the press box, so I, I only got one look at it. Um, and, and Manu said it was a tight call, and, and when I did finally get to look at it, it is such a tight call. It's it's one of those... Um, I think it's it's almost a parallax where it looks different from one angle than it is from another um if you see the replay the ball does look clearly out but um your perspective is from the side of it um, if you're directly over the top of it which the assistant was um, he may have seen just the very edge of it um still in play and and we've seen this a couple of times and um, i um, tweeted a video out and manu tweeted the same video out as well um and i think his was connected with mls um it, it's brilliant it shows a ball that looks to be over a line and, and actually it's not when you see it from the correct angle from the first person angle. So yeah, there was a lot of debate about VAR. Um, I know that the Wolfsburg uh, management team weren't particularly happy at the end of the match, but I can see why it was given um, because don't forget they get a different angle. Um, and also the, the assistant will have seen it very well from his angle. The only way we'll ever stop this is if there's, you know, 100 spider cameras all looking down on the pitch at the same time, which is never going to happen. Um, but yeah, outside of those opportunities, um, it, it was a bit of a dull game. Two great goals, but, you know, 45 seconds to a minute doesn't make 90, unfortunately. I thought that it, it's a really interesting debate, though, on that, um, because on the goal line, of course, we have um, Hawkeye is what we use in the Bundesliga, right, which is actually not a chip in the ball. It's they use fourteen different cameras um, that 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 basically calibrate with, with a calibrated line um, to determine whether the ball crossed the line or not. When the ball is um, only in goal goal situations, right? On the sides, we don't have that technology, um, so we don't actually we we don't have a technology to determine whether that ball crossed the line or not. Um, it's all about based on the different cameras that we have. The normal cameras, so not the goal, no, not the Hawkeye cameras, the normal cameras installed around the field. Um, perspective can be deceiving, and I think the other aspect is, or two other aspects actually. Um, a, if even a millimeter of the ball touches the line, it's not a cross, right? That's one thing that a lot of people keep forgetting. So if it looks out, doesn't actually mean it's out. It has to be the full ball um, across the line. Um, and the other aspect is if you cannot determine whether the ball crossed the line, the laws of the game actually say, in case of doubt, it's always the ruling is always for the attacking team, isn't it? And in this case, if the referees could not determine whether the ball was out or not, the play has to continue, right? And I think that's really... I personally think the right ruling was made um, because I don't think they had a camera that could... 100% determine whether that ball had 100% crossed the line or not. And in that case, the goal has to stand. Yeah, you're correct. And another thing with VAR is if it, if it can't find any real error, then it goes with the on-field decision. And the on-field decision was that uh, Matthias Zimmerman, you know, he didn't, he didn't take the ball over the line. Um, now, there are clear images, and I use the word clear in inverted commas, online that you can find stills from bt sport and i think also stills from fox um for for american viewers of american listeners even uh, that it looks like the ball's out but you're quite right it's the perspective and as you said 
you know, the league, the league title in England went down to, I think it was like 0.25 of, of an inch um, because a ball did or didn't cross the line for a goal. And, and we're talking in real fine terms of football here. And yeah, you're quite right. If, if the tiniest slither of, of the plastic ball wasn't out, then, then the whole of the ball isn't out of play. So I can see why um, Wolfsburg weren't happy. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, they did create more opportunities. They just couldn't finish them. Um, I mean, he probably should have a special name um, for Veghorst because I thought he was excellent. Um, I mean, he, um, he, he's he been great this season. Um, and I, I just can't believe that he's not a natural starter for the Dutch, um, which is probably um, to the Germans' benefit, I think, from the, from the other week. But he's certainly someone that's starting to come of age now in the Bundesliga. But... Yeah, for all of of Wolfsburg's complaints, um, they had the they had the play and they had the opportunity to to right a wrong if they thought they they had one. Well, Chris, you've actually beat me to it. I was going to ask you just about uh, Beckhorst uh, and say that you know he, he's been something else since he's been at Wolfsburg. Really, um, I, I think that's now twenty goals in thirty eight appearances. Uh, for the side, um, even this season, one stat has said he's been directly involved with 20 goals in 2019, 14 goals and 6 assists. No other player has scored more in the Premier League, um, apart from uh, Lewandowski, uh, who is tied with him. Um, it, quite the feat, I mean, um, Manu, we'll, we'll go to you, I mean, because Chris has already had a comment, but he is such a vital player for Wolfsburg and, and he's really become quite a star in the Bundesliga. Well, it's, I would argue that maybe it's a little bit difficult um, at the moment to become a star at Wolfsburg. I, I think that even though they had an excellent year last year, we almost all forgot to talk about them a little bit, right? Um, he was already excellent then for them um, last year. And I think that Wolfsburg are slowly but surely creeping back into that top five, six in the Bundesliga and really kind of have to reestablish themselves after three horrendous seasons and um, lots and lots of money wasted. And yeah, Chris said it because is such an excellent player. The, the the way he moves, the way he moves that frame, I think um, that that's that's quite a lethal combination, right? If you're both tall but also very agile, and uh, the, the way he's got that goal, uh, excellent. Um, but I actually think it's also um, Precalo's movement on the right that the way he sets it up. I think Wolfsburg um, under Glasner. Um, the Austrian head coach. I think they're going to be a very fun side to watch. Um, it, once you know, once all, all the mechanisms start to click and all the players start to click, and once they all buy into that new system, you you saw glimpses of it in that game against Düsseldorf. Um, I mean, overall, it was a, it was a very dull affair, but you you did see some glimpses of what what could happen there, and because there's going to be a very big part of that. And Chris, uh, one final um, question was, well, how? How was the Merker Spiel Arena? I mean, is it as ugly as it looks, you know, on, on Google or on the TV? I mean, Manu has described it as an IKEA stadium. It's um, it's something. I mean, in this inside, it looks very nice, but on the outside, <laughs> yeah, it, it does look like um, a traditional IKEA building, just completely square. Um, yeah, it, it's an odd design. Uh, it was originally designed for the Olympic Games that never went there. Um, I believe it was then going to be used in the World Cup um, in 2006, but it didn't get a game either. And it's been it's been sort of a, a, 
A strange stadium. Um, I mean, from a working point of view, it was quite a pain because the the media tribune is all the way down um, in the very lowest level, the minus two level of the car park. Um, and then your seats in a press box are right in the top tier. Um, so it's it's a bit hard work for the legs, Bryce, up and down the stairs. Um, even even with a lift, there's still plenty of stairs to climb. Uh, but I mean, to watch the game, it's 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 a good stadium to watch football from. Um, you've got a real good appreciation of the pitch movement. Um, there's plenty of toilets, plenty of snack bars. Um, this particular evening, um, Fortuna had had their first beer traditionally brewed in the area, a beer called Schumacher. Um, they were all very happy about that. They could finally drink um, Dusseldorf beer in their own stadium. Um, and everybody seemed really happy. So I think it works for them. It was a little empty. Um, Wolfsburg didn't really take that many traveling fans. And I know we've spoken about this before. That's a problem with being a working club. Uh, you know, they come from um, is an, an auto stadt, an auto city. Everybody um, that lives there um, either works um, for Volkswagen and most of the people leave at five o'clock and go home. So it's hard for Wolfsburg to take a lot of fans with them. Um, but yeah, as as a fan, I think it, it's a good stadium. It's a little bit ugly. Working, it's a bit of a pain. I say a lovely rundown there of the stadium. Very nice. But we will uh, leave uh, Dusseldorf now, uh, move into uh, Saturday, and we'll talk about the big game between uh, Borussia Dortmund and Bayer Leverkusen. So as I said, Peter Bosk returning to his former employer, and it wasn't a good day for him as they lost 4-0. Borussia Dortmund getting back to winning ways. They went 1-0 up um, on the 20th minute with Paco Alcazar, and then followed it up with 3 in the second half, two being from Marco Royce and one from Rafael Guerrero. So, um, Manu, let, let's talk about Dortmund uh, a little bit. They were very much impressive. Um, if you look at the stats, maybe it would suggest that you Leverkusen had more of the ball, um, maybe even more chances. But um, this is one reason why you don't go off stats. You know, uh, Dortmund were very much, uh, well, as I said, impressive after the international break. I think when we think Chris summed it up very well in his Metroport, I think his title was something along the lines that Dortmund rebound after um, the Union Berlin result, right? And I think that's that very much sums it up, in my opinion. Um, as for the stats, Peter Bosch is an Ajax coach. Ajax teams always have the majority of possession. You know, Dutch teams, that's, that's the very essence of Dutch football. And um, I think it speaks very well for Dortmund that they handed over the ball to Leverkusen and very much played into the obvious defensive weaknesses that that side has. I mean, how often have we said on this podcast that Peter Bosch sides can't defend to save their lives? And this is this is a very good example. I think when you look, look at the overall game, the, the the full 90 minutes played, and this is this is my perspective from the television, I'm really curious to, to hear Chris's thoughts on this. I think 4-0 is a bit much, right? When you take the balance of the game. But when you actually look at the chances created and the way the chances were put away, I think 4-0 is a deserved result. And what I mean by that is that when it comes to the X, Leverkusen moved the ball like no other side in this league does. They have so much talent in that midfield area. They have they have a lot of attacking talent, but um, they do not manage, for some reason, they just don't have that killer that, that puts the ball away in, in the final third. And when in, 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 in the defensive third, they very much struggle um, keeping the killer ball out, 
right? And if Pakwal's Kassar shows up in your 18-yard box, I mean, 90% of the time, the, the ball will go into the goal, right? And I think that is that is what I mean when you look on balance. It seems like a harsh result when you look only in the areas from box to box, but when you look at actually the the, the defensive and the attacking third, I think the 4-0 was a very much a justified result. Chris, this was a very important, wasn't it, for Borussia Dortmund to, to get a good result um, after their well, slip-up, their banana skin against Union Berlin, uh, and they did exactly that. What exactly did we see on the field that was uh, a bit different on this occasion? Oh, well, um, for starters, on Saturday, they could pass the ball, which um, I was in um, Berlin for the Union game, and they were terrible. Um, as as poor as they were that particular day, they were the polar opposite on Saturday. I was lucky enough to be in the stadium again. This was my Saturday game um, in a press box, and, and yet yeah, the Dortmund were as bright as the sunshine, which... Um, which gave me a, a bit of a suntan, an unexpected one. I'm glad I packed my sunglasses in my uh, working bag um, because, yeah, it, it was a beautiful afternoon both on and off the pitch. But I think, I mean, Manu makes a, a really interesting point. Um, if you look at the game last season, which Dortmund won 3-2 um, in the West Valenstein, it was pretty much a similar path. Uh, Leverkusen had more possession. Dortmund just picked them off. And I was surprised to see that maybe Peter Bosch didn't learn from that. Um, Lucien Favre and his staff did, because it struck me really early on that um, Dortmund just didn't bother with their high press. It's one thing we see, um, Dortmund really working high, really working high and hard on the edge of the opposition box to win the ball back and, and try and pinch a goal. Well, they were quite happy to let the back four um, have the ball. And then when it went into the middle to Baumgartlinger and Aaron Guise, that's when I think it fell apart. They they couldn't really get it forward. Um, Axel Witzel had a tremendous game and, and he was everywhere. I, I, in the match report, I put that it was omnipresent at times. He just policed that midfield area really well. And what he did exceptionally was allow that forward transition to play into the front three and the, and the number nine. Um, and, and Dortmund were, were just brilliant. I mean, the second half, they were fantastic. Um, everybody loves a late goal bar if you're writing a match report, a 90-plus-2 goal is a killer for anyone who's writing a match report. I was pretty much waiting to press send, and then Marco Royce grabbed his brace. Um, but it was it was a great end to a great day for Dortmund. Um, I think they needed a response because they were um, they were very poor. I put it down in the match report that it was an embarrassment for them in the capital. Um, and, and, yeah... The, Manu's probably correct. I did sum it up as best as I could in a headline, which was Dortmund simply sublime as Leverkusen feel the after effects of Berlin. Uh, pretty much um, the, the game in seven or eight words there. But yeah, it's going to be interesting what this game does for Dortmund um, for Tuesday night when they face Barcelona, um, who haven't travelled particularly well in the Champions League of late. Um, we'll see how they do. But I felt that Dortmund needed a real positive result to go into this pretty much group of death with something to aim for and Saturday's results certainly um, will have given them that. I was lucky enough to be um, in, in the Dortmund office this morning as we record this and everybody was really happy, um, you know, whistling and smiles as you would be after a 4-0 win. Um, yes, yeah, so it's going to make Tuesday night's game against Barcelona very interesting. Uh, I've got a feeling that um, Dortmund might sneak it 2-1, Bryce. Oh, an early prediction, eh? I didn't uh, expect to get any prediction out of you at all, to be honest. But um, yeah, what an exciting one that would be 
for uh, Dortmund and Favre. Um, Manu, let, let's go to you then and um, we'll just finish up talking about this game before we talk about um, the Champions League a little bit further. Um, Leverkusen, obviously um, on the end of uh, quite a significant 4-0 drubbing, you would say, but did, did the 4-0 maybe flatter Dortmund a little bit? Uh, were Leverkusen not quite that bad? And then I suppose uh, second of all, um, when will Peter Boss and his sides ever learn to defend? Well, I think the the first question I answered earlier. I think the result is is justified because of how Dortmund um, exploited Leverkusen's obvious weaknesses, right? Um, which gets us to the second question: Will Leverkusen ever learn how to defend? I think that's just not in Peter Bosch's DNA, and I, I think it's fine to play that way. It's very Eredivisie style of of um, a football, Bryce. That you know you you play. Um, with a philosophy that you're not going to out-defend your opponent, but you're going to outscore them. Um, in the Netherlands, that, that works very well, and especially if you coach sides like um, Ajax, PSV, um, to an extent Feyenoord as well, right? Those sides are just better than the majority of the other teams. I mean, yes, the Eredivisie actually has a lot more quality than people give it credit for, but if you're one of those big sides, you, you can play that way. And I think with Leverkusen, you can play that way too, but you cannot play that way with the defensive materials that you have. I mean, Jonathan Tah, um, for example, is a defender that has tons of potential, but has been di- has been digressing um, for for a couple of years now. I mean, he was horrendous in that game against the Netherlands, and um, if you if that's the, the defensive you're building on, um, the Bender twins and all those players, and I think that Peter Bosch will never learn how to defend. Um, that's just not going to happen. Now, um, to foreshadow a little bit, I think the Champions League game is probably going to come for them just at the right time because they're playing against Lokomotiv Mo- Moscow, right? Um, game that we have previewed. And I think that's that's going to be a game just at the right time for them because they can pick themselves up a little bit. But it's a difficult one overall. I mean, it will probably sound like a broken broken record for until, until Bosch leaves that club, Bryce. It it just makes me laugh that we constantly say on this podcast um, with Leverkusen, you don't know one mm. week if they're going to win four nil or get beat four nil, and and it's it's true. I, I mean, I can see them doing well in the Champions League, but the the next Bundesliga game they host Union Berlin, um, and I, it wouldn't surprise me. And I love Union Berlin, and I think they play some great football, but it genuinely wouldn't surprise me for Leverkusen to go out and put four goals past them because you don't know, are you going to win one week 4-0 or are you going to get beat 4-0? And, and, and Bryce and Manu, for as long as Peter Bosch is there, I think this is Leverkusen. If you're a Leverkusen fan, it, it must be, I don't know if it's good or bad, it, it must just be the best roller coaster ride ever because some weeks you're on top of the world, you know, the other weeks you're negative G and you start And I think that they will put like three or four past Moscow and they will put three or four past Union. And then the next top side will come to town and they might beat them. And then the next top side after that will probably destroy them. Um, that's just how it's going to be. And that's how it's always going to be. As long as either Bosch is there, Bosch figures out how to defend, or Bosch is given defenders that actually can defend, if that makes sense. Well, this is it. I suppose you with the coming up games like um, you both mentioned, you know, we've got Lokomotiv Moscow, Union Berlin, Augsburg, 
Juventus, RB Leipzig, and Eintracht Frankfurt. I, th I think what we can be sure. Yeah, you, you look out for Juventus. They'll put like six, seven past them. I'll say that right now. Ronaldo's Ronaldo's going to have an absolute field day there. Right. We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper. And now, adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Well, you, you heard it here first. Um, but but Ma Manu, uh, let's um, let's talk a little bit about this um, this Champions League game that they have coming up. Obviously, Lokomotiv Moscow is going to be a side that uh, you'll know rather well, you know, because uh, you heavily focus on football from that side of the world. Um, what can you tell us about Lokomotiv Moscow? You know, there might be Leverkusen fans tuning in that don't know a lot about. Yeah, this is a, this is actually a side that was in the Champions League last year, and we we covered them quite a bit. Well, we covered them every year because they, you know, um, footballgrad.com. That's what we do. Um, we do Russian football um, just as much as we do the Bundesliga, and Lokomotiv's um, face Schalke right in the in the Champions League last year, and. Um, as, as I think that we, we can take pretty much the, 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 the games from last year and they're going to be very much a similar side this year. They signed Joao Felix, uh, not, sorry, Joao Mario, not Joao Felix, um, from Inter Milan. Um, they play a very conservative brand of football under uh, Yuri Simin. And um, I think in, in general, um, although they do have quality on the day, I think that this is a team that Bayer Leverkusen needs to beat. And then I, I suppose, Manu, would you agree that, uh, you know, with Chris, that you believe that uh, Dortmund could potentially cause an upset and beat Barcelona? Uh, at the at the Westfalen Stadion, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think Messi's just been announced to come back from injury, right? Um, but I do think that there is that there is a good. This is this is a game. I think that they can win. Um, and I think, you know, we saw it similarly to last year where they beat Atletico Madrid 4-0 at home. Um, I think this is this is a good opportunity for them to maybe get a foot in the door early in what is a very difficult group. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, interesting games um, ahead. Uh, uh, a time full, full of uh, different exciting fixtures. But we're going to talk about another uh, mouth-watering fixture. And that was on Saturday night. We've seen RB Leipzig host Bayern Munich. And it finished 1-1. This was actually a game that Chris was not at. Uh, so we'll, we'll go to Manu once again. Um, who's going to be happier with this uh, performance in 1-1? Would you say that it would be RB Leipzig as they're going to once again try and mount a bit of a title challenge um, against uh, the likes of Bayern Munich and Bruce? I, I think 
after the game, Leipzig were the happier of the two sides with this result. Because um, I thought that Bayern came out guns blazing the first 45 minutes and should have put away this game early. And uh, Peter Gulaxi was, in my opinion, um, one of the t three best players um, on the pitch. Um, of course, Leondowski scoring early um, in the third minute. And it was all Bayern at that stage. And then um, Nagelsmann made the switch at halftime. He went from three in the back to four in the back and took off Klostermann for Diego Demme. And with Demme came more stability in midfield. And then Leipzig had actually a flurry of chances. And, um, you know, Manuel Neuer was one of the other three players that I picked. Um, the, the third being Robert Lewandowski, who, I mean, once again, excellent. Seven goals now in four games. Um, man has been on fire. Um I think on balance, though, Leipzig will be... I mean, Julian Nagelsmann will never admit that because he is a very ambitious head coach, right? He is someone who has said in the next four years we want to win a title. Um, I think internally Leipzig very much are in realization that this year both Dortmund and Bayern could be dropping points here and there, which they both have already done, right? This is actually already the second time this season that Bayern have dropped points. You don't see it that often. And you, you see a Bayern side that is vulnerable in certain areas. And I think Leipzig are very much aware that, oh, we can actually maybe capitalize from Dortmund and Bayern, not only taking points from each other, but other teams in the league taking points off them as well. And um, with a bit of consistency, like we did, they had in the second half last year, they, they could maybe finish first. Now, that said, um, when, you lay, when you take the full 90 minutes, I think they, they will walk out of this and say this is a point gained because in the very last moment of the game, Niklas Süle has a free header and that goal ball goes in if Gulaxi does not come up with a huge save. And that was literally seconds before the final whistle. Um, so I think the fans, the RB Leipzig fans, the, the club, everyone will be happy with the point on balance. And I, I, when, you, when you look how Bayern reacted after the game, the Kovac's comments, the, the, the commentaries on social media with his substitutions, his late substitutions, he brought in um, Alfonso Davies, for example, in the 61st minute, um, which is good. I, I'm happy the Canadian kid is getting some playing time, right? But at the same time, um, Davies played two, 180 minutes against Cuba, um, not a great big opponent, right, um, even for Canada, but they played on the Cayman Islands and they played in Toronto. So they, he had to first fly to Toronto. Distances in North America are huge. And then they flew all the way down to the Cayman Islands. Then they had to fly back to Toronto. And then from Toronto, they flew, he had to fly back to Munich. That's a lot of travel. And then at the same time, Felipe Coutinho didn't come on because he had a friendly with Brazil, um, which I covered over on the International Champions Cup homepage against Peru. Right, where he played 60-something minutes in Los Angeles, which is actually a direct flight to Munich. And uh, I, I didn't quite understand the logic in this. I didn't understand why even Perisic didn't maybe come on because I think that Leipzig did struggle on that left wing. Serge Gnabry seemed a little tired, but you know, like he wanted to put on pressure. And Davies maybe the player who is very tired, jet-lagged, um, tired legs, young player. I, I'm not sure that was 100% the right decision. And when you, when you go by the commentaries after the game, that's a lot of people centered on that. Like, why did he make the substitutions that he did when he had Leipzig on the back foot? It's almost like when you look at the substitutions made by both coaches, I you can see the difference in quality between Nico Kovac and Julian Nagelsmann. The one coach made the right, made the decisions 
that made his side better on the pitch throughout the 45 minutes. Maybe went into the game with the wrong tactic. Chris, this is something that you have brought up numerous times when it comes to big games in Julian Nagelsmann, that he doesn't necessarily start games with the right tactic, but is very good at adapting very quickly if he has to. And I think that's that's a real big difference maker in that game. And I think that's why Bayern maybe on balance are the unhappy of the two sides. Yeah, I, the only thing um, that doesn't bother me about Julian Nagelsmann because I think he's a great coach. He he does he prefers a back three at times when he when he wants to play against a traditionally big side. He likes to go with a back three, um, and then he nine times out of ten will change it to a back four after they've like leaked a goal it happened on Saturday you know most famously for me because I got to speak to him about it it happened in Liverpool but they they leaked three goals before he made that change you know at least he's making a change after one now um I would it just there's got to be a learning process there for me at at some point he must know that the back four uh, and especially that extra um the extra area in midfield that he's able to to utilize with you know a, a player who can play out of the back and and when one of his forwards can drop into the midfield or one of his players can come in and uh, yeah it, it just it doesn't worry me um because I don't worry about him at all I don't lose sleep over it or anything it just um maybe bemuses me occasionally um but yeah you're quite right Leipzig have got a, a tremendous coach um who's learning let's not forget he's very young for a head coach um, and he's always learning he's constantly learning and he's becoming more refined if we look back to his first season and then how he went on his second season and I just think he's learning every single season so if Leipzig don't win the title this year I, I don't think that is any major upset but what I do think is he will learn so much over the close season and and I really do think Leipzig will be a big force to be reckoned with next season if not this it's it's almost like he knows that the back four works better but he doesn't have the he questions himself too much to actually go into a game with it because it's been time of the time and again that he's he's made that decision right and then switch it's almost like he doesn't trust himself and his decision and then he's like okay well this isn't working obviously and i knew this so i'm going to make the change now and then it works I think this is, and we have to remember this, if Julian Nagelsmann was on this podcast, he'd be the youngest person on here. He's only 32, right? Um, don't want to age us, but that's that's a fact. He's the young, would be the youngest person on this podcast. So I think it's it's fair enough that he make, gets those things maybe still wrong. Um, I think it's a tremendous achievement that a person of his age is the head coach of one of Germany's three biggest clubs because they're there. They are in the top three and they are a title candidate. I'm just still trying to get over like Chris um, lying awake at night worried about Julian Nagelsmann. That was something I was enjoying briefly there until he straightened it out. But uh, Chris, I mean, if, if if we talk about Julian Nagelsmann being at RB Leipzig and this being his first season, I mean, we, we, we look at the table so far and before they played their first uh, Champions League game uh, against Benfica, which we'll get onto in moments, uh, they've had an opener of Union Berlin, then they played Eintracht Frankfurt, Borussia Mönchengladbach, and now the champions. Three wins and a draw, and they're sitting at the top of the table. I, I know we're talking about his back line issues, and it wasn't a great first half, but I, I think their fans can be pretty happy with how it's went so far. Almost oh, definitely. Um, I, I can't remember anybody winning a title in September, but I can certainly remember a few losing it. If you have a, a really bad start to the season, 
you know, and you're right down the bottom, let's say, I mean, none of the really big teams are down there, but if they'd had, if they'd lost their opening four games and they found themselves down at the bottom with Paderborn and Hertha, it's a long way back. So you, you stake your claim for where you're going to be in May this time of year. If you start well and you can have that consistency to keep it going, you never know what's going to happen. Um, but for Leipzig fans and for everyone associated with the club, it's a brilliant start. And, and, and for them to have 10 points after four games of the opening games that they've had, I think that is a really good return. If you look at who Bayern have played and who Dortmund have played, and they've got um, eight and nine points respectively, then Leipzig have done very well. Um, it'll be interesting now to see how they cope with the European rhythm of playing midweek and then not playing the midweek after and then having to play the midweek. It's a bit of a pain, the group stages. If you can get yourselves into the, the final um, knockout stages after Christmas, they tend to come a bit thick and faster. And, and, you know, you speak to any player, they'll like to tell you that it's it's best to be playing football consistently. So if you're on that Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Sunday sort of rhythm, um, come April, May time, it, it's really good for you. But yeah, he, he struggled a little bit at Hoffenheim, um, but then he's got a far better squad now, as, as we can see. And I'm sure as we'll talk about Hoffenheim soon. Um, but yeah, the... I mean, it's an old cliche, the only way's up. Um, but at the minute, it's not. The only way's down for Leipzig. That's how well they're doing because they're sitting at the top of the pile. I, I think it's going to be a three-way race for the rest of this season. They're, they're not going to go anywhere anytime soon um, because of the start that they had and the, the results that they had. And I think the squad depth um, is something that we've mentioned now a couple of times. I think it's going to really aid them. And that includes, you know, the, the Champions League games. I mean, they're playing... Um, this week against Benfica uh, in in Lisbon, so they have to do a little bit of traveling. But I, for some odd reason, you know, in the Europa League last year, and, and Chris, remember we chatted about this um, in great length, is that the they kind of almost gave up on the Europa League because they had some real issues on the transfer market, um, signing the right players, increasing the squad depth. And I did a, an article on on Forbes last week um, on Leipzig squad depth and the work that. Uh, Kroeschke, the sporting director, has done in Leipzig. And when you look at their squad, they have injuries right now uh, in every key area, and it doesn't bother them one bit because they have so many players available for every position. Yeah, things are definitely looking positive for RB Leipzig, aren't they? And Manu, how do you think they're going to get on midweek against uh, Benfica then? Um, I have this down as a Leipzig win. Um, I think it's it's going to be actually quite a decisive win for them too because um, Benfica really struggle against German sides. And it's, it's something that they just don't don't like to do. They don't like to play against German teams. I, I think their record was very poor. I think the only game that they have recently won against um, a German side was against a 10-man Eintracht Frankfurt, the game that they won 4-2, right? Um, at Benfica, at the, um, the stadium in Lisbon. And then um, went out because Frankfurt beat them in the return leg. So um, I I just don't think that they like playing um, playing in against German teams and they also they haven't really had a great record in the Champions League either and then on top of that they lost Joao Felix right to Atletico Madrid 126 million euros they got for him and the player that I highlighted in my preview over on Fußballstadt.com the Champions League preview was um, Raul Thomas um, that who they signed from. Rayo Vallecano, a player who scored 38 goals in the last two seasons, um, 
caveat, one of those seasons was La Liga 2, right? So very talented player, but not quite up to the potential to, to replace someone like Jao Felix. And they have been really had issues scoring goals. Um, so I think that I think that this is a really good opportunity for Leipzig to get into this Champions League group, group stage, pick up the three points um, against an opponent that's A, attractive, because, I mean, it is, it is still Benfica. This is one of the big names in European football. Um, gain some more confidence and then come back um, and keep this, keep this performance going in the Bundesliga. Yeah, Chris, um, let's talk about Champions League football again with uh, Bayern Munich. They're going to be facing Red Star Belgrade uh, this week on Wednesday night. They're in a group of Red Star Belgrade, Olympiacos and Tottenham. Um, should this be seen as a, a routine win uh, for the Barbarian side? I mean, Red Star Belgrade have won six out of six in the Serbian Superliga, but... It would be a bit of a shock if it was anything but a win, surely, yeah? Yeah, um, Red Star and their three stars. I um, should apologise for only putting two on the preview graphic. I was picked up on that by a Red Star fan, and as it should have been. Um, yeah, I, I've seen... Uh, I was lucky enough to see Red Star last season twice. Um, first at Anfield, uh, they were horrendous on their travels. And then second... Um, they were brilliant at home. I think that's where Bayern need to um, concentrate is the, it's not an away leg, but the away fixture um, in Belgrade because that's where they're the most dangerous. They've got a wonderful stadium. Uh, it's an absolute racket, a real noise, uh, which can frighten teams that go there. Um, but on their travels, yeah, they're, they're pretty poor. If If Bayern don't win and win convincingly by three or four goals, I, I think the pressure will start to mount already on Niko Kovac. A 1-0 scraped win against a side from um, from Belgrade that doesn't travel particularly well will send off warning signals um, in the Alliance to all their fans that how deep are they going to go in this competition. So, yeah, I expect a, a big win for Bayern. And if not, I'd expect a little bit of trouble for Niko Kovac straight away. Okay, well, let's move on and let's talk about um, the Sunday games. And the first one in particular, we're going to touch a little bit on Hoffenheim. Obviously, Julian Nagelsmann, as we just mentioned, uh, left the side, uh, the side that he first started um, managing, which makes it sound like a long time ago. Uh, but as uh, Manu mentioned, he's rather young and was only there for a few years. But he had great success um, getting them into Europe. But um, in recent uh, weeks, we've seen them uh, struggle a little bit. And this was predicted before the season started. Those are big shoes to fill, also with losing uh, the players that they have. Uh, they lost 3-0 at home to uh, Freiburg. And Chris, you and I uh, watched this game and we were messaging uh, during it. Hoffenheim really did look very poor, didn't they? Yeah, we pr probably won't put what was in the me in the messages because uh, I think we're going to be explicit enough um, with uh, with a little bit of naughty German that spoke. Um, but yeah, Hoffenheim, I think it was with uh, Derek Ray we spoke about this, didn't we, Manu? About how we all were a little bit concerned for Hoffenheim because of all the players they've lost um, and, and they have lost some real talent. But it's the, the exit of Julian Nagelsmann that... That is the overarching problem. Um, See, so guy that's come in, Schroeder, uh, Kevin Hatchard, who, who, who we know is a friend of our pod, he's been on it. 
I've been having a Twitter chat with him and, and Phil Bonney. Um, and, and Kevin thinks that his type of football is unnecessarily cautious for the group of players he has. Um, and I, I tend to agree with that. Um, yeah, it's it's not really the half and hind that we've been seeing for the last few seasons um, under Nagelsmann. So it's going to be a difficult one. I, I think I said it on the pod. If not, I'll underline it again. I see them being closer to a relegation fight um, than any um, fight for the European places. If they finish mid-table, I think that's probably a good result for them. Um, I think they have to realign their expectations. Now they've lost the top coach and they've lost some real top talent. And not only have they lost that, they've also lost the person behind that who scouted all that talent. If you look at all the brilliant players that Hoffenheim had, it's Lutz Flamfensteel that, that, that mainly picked all them out. He's now obviously the um, sporting director at Fortuna Dusseldorf. So they've lost a lot of key um, personnel, Hoffenheim. So if they can become a, a Bundesliga side that finishes mid-table, I think they'll take that at the moment because I could see them dropping into one of the top 25 sides in Germany. And as we all know, that would make them um, a bit of a yo-yo club. Um, and Manu, you will remind me of this word in German, it, the elevator club. Yeah, yo-yo uh, club. Um, I actually, it just escaped my mind. <laughs> um, yeah, I know you're absolutely right. They have they have to be a bit careful um, about the about the the, the fact that they, the the personnel, the key personnel that they lost. Um, it's not just the players, isn't it? It's the it's the coaching staff and the coaching staff around Nagelsmann and all the know-how that that. Um, that went with them. So yeah, um, they have to be careful that they're not a Fahrstuhl uh, Mannschaft, you know, going up and down like an elevator. And um, it, it's, it is actually something that was for a long time reserved for Freiburg, um, the team that is in the, the same region, not far away from Hoffenheim. And we were excellent on that match day. I think we have to kind of remember that a little bit, right? That Freiburg as a side um, are very nicely smacked up at the top of the table. Don't expect that they're going to finish up there, but smacked nicely between Dortmund and Bayern and ah, that's Freiburg for you that's what you get when you have one of the best coaches in the league yeah absolutely it's going to be a tough and a long season for Hoffenheim um, I think they've got a, a long old season ahead of them um, let's talk about the uh, the second game then on uh, Sunday we've seen uh, Paderborn which uh, Chris was at um, go 1-0 up but then finally lose to David Wagner's Schalke 5-1 um, Chris was this a, um, a case of Schalke being very good and very impressive or or just like I mentioned for Hoffenheim, that this could potentially be a very long season for Paderborn as well. Um, I I would say at the moment, having watched both sides, that Paderborn play a better style of football. They just don't really have um, the cutting-edge talent at the top of the field to, to turn their chances into goals. Um, yeah, they, they obviously took the lead, um, and, and they, they very deservedly took the lead early on. Um, and, and they do play good football. They move the ball around well. Uh, their midfield is particularly okay. Um, yeah, it's. Um, I've got a lot of time for Mamba. I do think he's a good player, but I, I think they've very much got uh, an overachieving Bundesliga 2 side in the Bundesliga, which will cause them no end of problems. But they do play good, exciting football to watch. The only fallback of that, I suppose, is they're very open 
to a quick counter um, with players who are decent, which is what Schalke have got. Uh, they weren't particularly good in the first half. Um, and as I put in the match report on, on fushballstat.com, that's something that David Wagner will have to be careful about because if they were playing um, Dortmund or Bayern or maybe even someone like Freiburg at the moment or, or Leipzig, it could have been um, three or four, one at half time to the home side, but they weren't. They were playing Paderborn and um, Wagner must have had a word at the half time break because they came out a lot better. Um, Sadar scoring early on. Um, and then, and then after that, the, the floodgates opened and, you could see that once Schalke uh, got that got themselves in front early on in the second half, their confidence grew. Um, John Joe Kenny, I thought, was was average for the first half. He really came into it the second half. Uh, I think that's just an indication of the players wanting to do as well as they can. Um, if you have a look at the match report, the the main picture um, for the for the for the the graphic is is everybody hugging substitutes Wagner all the players you can tell this is a real squad that's knitted together um, and I think David Wagner's got a, a period of bedding in still to go um, to make the Schalke side his own to put his own spin on it for all the players to get the right tactical information that he wants to get across um, and as um, me and you will have seen and, and Manu will have seen as well because obviously Wagner is, is a big pull in Germany the way he had Huddersfield Town playing in their initial season in the Premier League was very exciting and very expansive and he looks to have brought this to Schalke now um, but yeah he needs to just tidy up maybe their opening to games a little bit because I do feel if they were playing a, a better calibre of side it, it, it could have been um, maybe a closer score in the end maybe 5-3 or even 5-4 um, but yeah, I, I put uh, in, in the match report that it was a second half Schalke. If you're a Schalke fan, disregard the first, concentrate on the second because they are excellent second half. That's probably my key takeaway point, Bryce. And, and actually, I suppose, how was your trip to Paderborn as well? I, I should have opened with that. How was the stadium? How was the atmosphere? It's, um, you know, obviously a newly promoted side. Um, it looked like they were having a good time um, well, up until um, a few goals in. Yeah, Ben Teller Arena, it's a, it's a nice, small ground. Um, obviously, it's bigger than their old ground, which was very small. It's purpose-built. Um, it's on the outskirts of town. Um, yeah, it's it looks very pretty at night, all lit up. Um, I must say, as a Liverpool fan, uh, Paderborn against Schalke is far too much blue for me to take in. I felt uncomfortably sick at times being surrounded by blue and white everywhere. But it was a lovely a lovely little stadium. had a real good family feel to it. Um I noticed on the bus um, from the from the main train station to the ground, which was all put on by the club, by the way, um, and on the way back, wonderful um, organisation logistics and to get fans of both clubs to the ground, back to the central station, and, and other organised points. Um, that it was it was a, it was a mixture. You go to some of the grounds like Bayern and Dortmund and um, Leipzig, maybe not so much. But, but it, it's quite male-dominated environment, um, and, and there are lots of females and children who go to games in Germany, and particularly on the side, not behind the, the main goals. But Paderborn had a distinctly family feel about it, um, and even after they were battered 5-1, um, the fans on, on their main terrace stayed and, and saluted and applauded and, and backed their team, because I think they know that Paderborn are overachievers, um, and that, that is nothing to be um, sad about. I, I do think, and I put it in the match report, that they can say that they are one of the best 25 teams in Germany. And for a team of their size, I think that's a real good 
um, a real good plus point for them and something they can be proud of. But yeah, if you're on a, a tour of Germany and you're looking to take in a game, certainly head over to Paderborn. Um, yet a nice little town, nice little stadium, free transport, um, real good beer and, and sausages outside, um, some bean bags to laze on. Yeah, it's a good football environment and it's it's probably quite a niche environment. And if you used to, I mean, I'd been to um, Signal Aduna Park the day before and you couldn't get more different stadiums, but they both had uh, really good parts about them. So yeah, if you're in the area, go visit Paderborn. Oh, fantastic. A uh, bit of uh, tourist and work there for them. Uh, Chris, uh, making me want to go anyway. But um, Manu, ju- just before we um, finish talking about this game, I kind of wrap up the podcast. I feel that we uh, have to mention the the man who scored two goals, twenty two year old uh, Moroccan Amin Harit. I mean, what, what exactly um, did you make of his performance? I mean, there was a lot of high hopes for him. He was seen as um, a, a wonder kid, I suppose, on different gaming platforms, and there was a lot of high hopes for him. But um, especially with a rough season last year for Schalke. You know, it, it maybe didn't go as, as well as he would have liked. Uh, th- this was a fantastic performance yeah, so far. It really was. Amit Harid was was excellent, right? And I think um, a player who was maybe on the trading block a little bit um, during the summer. Um, you know, we have to kind of look back to last year when he when he was signed. You're quite right. This this was a player with a ton of potential that came in and high expectations, and it didn't work quite out. And then he was, of course, involved in that accident, that um, a fatal accident, right? Um, and that, I think, we have to remember that players are people, and things that happen off the pitch can affect performances significantly. And being involved in a fatal accident that you may even have caused, um, you know, the, 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 the situation, the reporting on this has been very murky is something that will <laughs> tremendously affect your performance, especially if you're a young man, right? Um, or young person in general. Um, we, we have to, I think this is a human element that we have to always remember when we talk about players and performances. And in David Wagner, this is, this is something that often parallels have been drawn to Jurgen Klopp, right? The, the mention finger, someone who can collect people, unite them behind him and get the best out of these people. Um, I think maybe the entire Harid case is a perfect perfect um, example of what Wagner can do at a club like Schalke and just rekindle you know, broken talent a little bit and like get the best out of a player. And I think if, if he can get players like him to perform on a high level, um, and get that talent level out of a player like Amit Harid, um, who has back backs lots of talents. You know that that that, that dribbling ability, that one on one situation that he creates, a very creative player. I think then Schalke can have a lot of fun with the player, and I think it will make Schalke a better club overall. And um, I think that maybe the combination of Wagner, some of the younger players, some of the atmosphere that was very much broken. It wasn't just Harid, right? Um, who had his personal bags of problems, but there's a, there's lots of stories like that at Schalke, in Gelsenkirchen. And I think maybe Wagner is just the right coach to fix some of these issues. Yeah, well, time will tell if he can get the best out of Schalke. Um, it's been a bit of a shaky start, but let's, let's see how the next few weeks go. Schalke will have Mainz on the Friday night game. 
um, coming into next week and that means Paderborn will be away to Hertha Berlin but um, that more or less does it for today's pod we hope you enjoy the Champions League football coming up uh, and with that uh, Manu Vet, I would imagine that you're probably going to point people in the direction of the uh, at football grad live uh, Twitter page and the website because you got match reports and previews. So yeah, up. yeah, the, the the previews all up. Um, the Champions League previews have been posted. The Europa League previews um, are more or less done, but will be posted a little bit later. Um, you know, we we try and do to space them out a little bit, and um, you know, <laughs> got everything done a little bit earlier because I'm traveling to Atlanta this week. I'm going to give um, a lecture on football and politics at the University of Georgia. Um, all the way down in Atlanta, just outside of Atlanta, in Athens, Atlanta. Uh, so, yeah, uh, very exciting. It means I'm going to be on the road. It does not mean that there will be no reporting on games. There will be. Um, we're, going, we're going to have everything organized, make sure that everything runs smoothly while I'm traveling the long way down from uh, the West Coast all the way down to Georgia. Um, but, yeah, so the previews are up. Um, the the Europa League previews are coming, and um, if you're interested in what I'm going to do down there, you can also follow me on Twitter at Manuel Vef. I believe we're going to try to get the lecture online somehow as well. Very good, and good luck with that, Manuel. Uh, Chris, uh, what would you like to maybe draw people's attentions to in the coming week? Oh well, um, I've got some Champions League correspondent duties to do this week for um, the guys over at Sirius XFM. So if you're in America and you've got subscribe to satellite radio, you can catch me on that on Wednesday evening. Um, I've the two pieces that are now my mainstay with the international champions league cup are up. There is a, a recap of how the 12 sides in the 2019 competition did over the weekend. Um, and then there's a specific look at the premier league um, because it's obviously it's a big league over in, in America for, for interest um, and then I am covering Dortmund as well, but that will be Wednesday morning. I'll give some thoughts on that on uh, fushballstat.com via the at Football Drive Live website. And then Bryce, I'm back to Germany on Saturday morning um, over to see um, Ebby Leipzig again um, there at Werder Bremen. Wow, what a busy man you are, Chris. But it uh, sounds like a lot of fun, but... Uh... Get some rest, and and I think in that case, I, next week, will be on holidays. So you'll not hear my voice, but these two guys will return as usual. Um, You'll probably hear me the week after, I'd imagine. But um, yeah, enjoy all the midweek games, and the uh, match day will be with us in no time whatsoever. Of Vader's end. Ich wart seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.